Jesus Christ came to him, and Jesus told him to, to, to write down the things that he was going to show him. Are we ready? Did you have it on? Okay, and to write down the things that he would show him. And so those were the things that, that have been. And then he went into the, the things that are, and we, we, um, we read about, we learned about the, the seven churches, and what Jesus had to say to the seven churches, and it started off with the church of Ephesus, losing their first love, and it goes all the way down to the church of Laodicea, which thought that they were rich, but yet they were poor, they thought they were clothed finally, but Jesus says you're really naked. And so the whole idea was, throughout all those uh, churches, was the encouragement to them, that Jesus knew what was going on in their churches, that if they would repent, if they would continue on, if they would um, turn back to him, whichever the case was for each of the churches, that he would deliver them through the, the trials that were to come upon the world. And so then we began to go into the things that shall be, and as we went to, to Revelation chapter 4, we took a hiatus and we considered biblical prophecy for a few months, and then we went into the throne room of God, Revelation chapter 4. And we saw the four and twenty elders sitting around the, the throne of God. And how that there was that, that emerald rainbow that was encompassing him as well. There was the seven lamps that represented the seven spirits of God. The sevenfold spirit of God that was sitting before him. And then there was the four uh, living creatures as well that were there. And then from Revelation chapter 4, we went to um, Revelation 4. Yeah, we went to Revelation 5, um, where we saw the Lamb of God, and that John began to weep, because in the, the hand, the right hand of him who sat upon the throne was a scroll that was sealed with seven seals. And they looked for somebody who was worthy to open up the seals, but nobody in the heaven or in earth or under the earth was found worthy to open up the seals. And so John wept much. But as he was weeping, one of the elders said, Well, weep not for the the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the scroll. And as John looked, he saw a lamb proceeding from the midst of the throne, a lamb as though it had been slain. And that lamb had seven eyes and seven horns, which also represented the sevenfold spirit of God. And so the lamb that was slain, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who was Jesus Christ himself, exciting as we saw that he is the Alpha and the Omega, and we saw that, that very picture of him coming and opening up the seals was a picture of his deity that he was Yahweh, that he was the incarnate presence of God in the earth. And so Jesus came to open up the seals. And then we went into Revelation chapter 6, and where Jesus begins to open up the seals, and we saw the first four seals were the, the four horsemen that you hear much about. And we saw the white horse, the horse of conquering. We saw the red horse, where the, um, the, the horsemen came to conquer, but differently than the, the one on the white. He came to, to, to kill and then you had the, the black horse, which came, and, and um, upon him was the rider with scales, and it was showing the, the, the financial earthquake, if you would, that was going to come upon the world, and that's where we were told of a quarter of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and we talked about that the fact that a quarter of wheat only makes approximately two loaves of bread, and, and that day's wages, at least as of July 24th in the United States, will be $60 a day, so that's, in the United States, that's represented by uh, $30 a loaf of bread at this point. And as um, we were talking at my house this week, um, it seems the United States has done a great job at seeking to cause the United States dollar be commensurate with everybody else's um, currency. And so, for example, we're getting ready to go to Canada, and we understand that the exchange rate is one for one right now with Canada. Over the years that we've gone there, it has, it has been phenomenally on the United States side, but um, whether intentionally or not intentionally, we won't go there. Um, we have sought to bring our dollar in the same value line as the rest of the world. And so um, it's an amazing thing. And so I don't think we're far off at looking at the United States as an example, because I think that we will be just another country at that point. Um, we are no longer the head. We are the tail. And, um, and so we, we struggle with that. So in the fourth seal, the fourth seal is the pale horse, which actually, remember the word for pale, actually means green. Okay, it's a green horse. Um, only here is it, that word ever translated pale, and the idea is it's sickly looking. I mean, if you ever saw a green horse, you'd think it was sick. So, um, so it's a sickly looking horse, and on the horse was um, death. Death was riding, and so we, we read there that um, 
there was much death that occurred. And in the, um, the third and fourth seal, we're told that a quarter of the earth's population would die. And if you remember, I shared with you from um, the uh, CIA's site, that the, how many they, they have said was on the earth um, as of last year, and we talked about 1.7 billion people dying during that time. We read through it, we don't think about it, we just kind of put forth, but a quarter of the earth's population will die during the, the black and, and pale horse. Amazing thing. Um, then we saw the fifth seal. In the fifth seal were the, the souls of the saints who had been martyred, and um, they're underneath the throne of God, or the, the altar, and they're crying out, How long, O God, holy and true? And so to them was given white robes, and then also a uh, pronouncement, and that is that they needed to, to wait, because there were more that still needed to die for the name of Jesus. And so they were to wait for the, fu the fullness of those who would die to come to them. Last week, we looked at the sixth seal. And we looked at the sixth seal, that it was a catastrophe, the catastrophe and the consecration that was going on. And in the beginning of the sixth seal, the catastrophe that was going on, we read about this huge earthquake that's on the earth, so huge that the islands were displaced and the mountains were displaced, that people were hiding themselves in the caves, and they are declaring, the unbelievers are declaring, that this is the wrath of the Lamb of God. Not really, not yet. As we shared last week, they haven't seen anything yet. Even though the world may think that that was the beginning of God's wrath, it wasn't the beginning of God's wrath. The God's wrath doesn't begin to happen until chapter 12, until chapter 11, chapter 12, with the, the bulls, of, bulls of God's wrath. This, I believe, as we shared last week, potentially could be a nuclear explosion. We talked about how Europe has been um, testing um, the, the, someone told me, Hedron? Is that what it's called? Say again? Does anybody know? No one's going to help me out here. Laura Neuf? Say again? It's a particle accelerator. It's a particle accelerator, yeah. And, and, it, and it's this huge tunnel that they're, 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 they're shooting it at each other. And, and they're going to, they don't know exactly what's going to happen, but that's why they've done it so far underneath that... There you go. They're trying to fuse two hydrogen atoms into helium. And they don't know what's going to happen. So that's why they put this tunnel way down underneath because the, the, the explosion that potentially could occur is devastating. By the end of today, you'll say, you'll understand that these guys aren't as nuts as we think they are because man has been this nuts for years. Okay? And so you'll be amazed at what I'm going to share. With. I, I was amazed. I was sickened by the things that I've learned this week. I've just... Anyways, it's... I understand medical science or things that are going on to us a little bit better now, I think, because of what I've, what I've learned. Anyways, and so all these things would, would occur during this time. And then we were told that, that in the midst of all this, all this, the effects of it all, that God would send forth four angels to hold back the four winds of the earth. And we talked about how the, the airflow and, and, and stuff that was going on there. And so God would hold back these winds. And I said we would talk about that a little bit more this week, because that's where we come into this. Now, as they're holding back the four winds, there is a little bit of a, a, a parenthesis that we're told about in the consecration of the 144,000 and then the consecration of the multitude that was there. And we're told that there were 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel that were consecrated, that were sealed. And we're, we, we talked about the fact that they, they probably weren't believers yet at that point but that they were sealed to be believers, to be protected from the things that were coming on the earth, because they would be witnesses on the earth during the, the, the final week of Daniel's vision, the 70th week. And then we saw in the heavens the multitudes of, the, of every ethnicity and every tribe and every tongue, there would be a representative there in the heavenly choir, in the, in the, in the saints that would be there, praising God for what he has done for us. And so an exciting thing, I mean, from my perspective, to think about all the different dialects that are on the earth, all the different tribes, all the different um, groupings that are here on, uh, here on the earth, and God says, there will be a representative. Somebody that God is long-suffering, is not willing that any should perish, but that he would put forth his word in such a way that somebody would, would receive him from that, from that grouping. And so we praise God for that. And it is amazing if you think about when you go over to some of these um, Arab-speaking countries where, where Islam is so entrenched and to, to, to believe in Jesus is, is so anathema in its death. 
And yet there are people in the midst of that persecution, in the midst of that potentiality, who are doing what? Coming to Christ. Isn't that awesome? I mean, God is so good. Anyways, and so it's just an amazing thing that we look at. And so now we move into, through all this, we move into chapter 8 in the, the seventh seal. And in the seventh seal, we begin looking in chapter 8. The very first thing we see is something that many mothers would love to see in their house. At least a half an hour of silence. Anyways, silence. There was silence. And there was silence where? In heaven. Silence in heaven for half an hour. Now it's interesting, there are a lot of theories, a lot of debates going on about what the half an hour is. If a day is like, fill in a blank, a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day, then a half an hour would be 7,500 days, or 20.8 years. Okay? So that's, that's a possibility. But if, like in Daniel, a week is really representative of what? Seven years, then a half an hour represents seven and a half days. So, you either have 7.5 days or 7,500 days. There's a big factor difference there, isn't it? Which one do I hold to? Neither one. Anyways, I, I, I potentially think that it's a half an hour. Yeah, anyways, what's a half, what's a half an hour in heaven? I don't know. Um, we're not told this in a prophetic sense, if that makes sense. I think that in my mind, as I read through this, just as a, a literal reading coming through it, I don't read it allegorically. I read it as just representing a breath. Does that make sense? Just, it's just a, a, a moment. So whether you want to make it literally 30 minutes of earth time in heaven, whether you want to make it seven and a half days of earth time, you have at it. For me, it's just representing a, a pause. There's, there's a pause. There's a, there's a moment that's happening. Now, is the pause the same pause that's going on as far as um, the, the, the sixth seal? I think it's a little bit more. Why? Because that, that holding back the, the, um, the wind was the sixth seal, and the silence doesn't come to when? The seventh seal. So I think it's an additional pause that's going on there. But I think it's a pause for a particular purpose. And that is, it's setting up the next round. The next round of judgments. The next round of signs, if you would. And again, as we talk about these judgments, we refer to the seal judgment, we refer to the trumpet judgment, we refer to the bull judgments. Understand that overall, it's not a matter of God wanting to judge, it's a matter of God seeking to redeem. And so I see a lot of these seals as signs. I mean, God has declared that it was going to happen, yes? Does the world have the opportunity to know what's going to come next? They do. And so I think God has declared these things so that when they begin to happen, that the world will know that these things are true. I mean, there's got to be a reason that, the, the, that the, in the sixth seal, the people are declaring what? The wrath of the Lamb has come upon us, right? And so for me, these are signs. And so he is setting up the next seven signs, if you would, or seven judgments. And those are the trumpet signs or the trumpet judgments. And so we have this period of silence that's going to occur. And after the, this moment of silence, we see that the, 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 four, the seven angels that are coming, and the seven angels to the seven angels are given seven trumpets, okay? Seven trumpets. Hey, Ben, if, if I could get you to slide up forward, that way they would have a whole row or whatever. Does that work? Second, second row, okay. Um, and so we have the, the angels, and they're given, the seven, the seven angels are given their trumpets, and so they, they begin, then they take this, and as they're about to sound, we're told that there is a another angel that comes, and this angel has a censer in his hand. And I want you to look at that in verse 3. It says, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it, how? With the prayer of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Now, I don't know, and it, I guess verse 4, And the smoke of the incense with the prayer of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. It was interesting to me, and I pondered for a while, whether these prayers of the saints are the prayers of the saints that are coming from the saints who are underneath 
the altar that we looked at earlier. Remember when he, when he says, you know, how long, O holy and true, what do they want? What did, the, what did the saints want who were underneath the altar? Does anybody remember? Say it again. Redemption, did you say? Vengeance. Yeah, vengeance. They want vengeance. They want God to, to, to pour out his vengeance because of what the world has done to them. And I wonder, you know, is this part of those prayers that are there? But the, the key to me in this whole thing is, is this the whole concept, though, of the importance of prayer. So regardless whether it's the prayer of those saints that are there, or whether it's the prayer of, of us, the saints, the fact is that our prayers are like an odor, like incense before God. And so I ask myself the question, what does my prayer smell like? What kind of a what kind of an incense, what kind of a, a fragrance am I sending up to God? Is it an odorous smell? Because it's all about me? Is it truly frankincense? Think about when the um, the Magi, the three wise men came to Jesus at the time of his birth. I understand it was probably two years afterwards, a period of time afterwards, but but they came, they present, to present presents to him, didn't they? They gave him gold and myrrh, but sandwiched between the gold and myrrh was what? The frankincense. Now we understand the gold, we understand symbolically is to, to honor a king. We understand the myrrh was a symbol of the, the anointing of his death, what he would do for us. But what about the frankincense? What was the, what was the frankincense a picture of? Anybody remember the, the Christmas carols? Frankincense owns a deity nigh. Anyways, it was a picture of his deity. Frankincense was, 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 was an important fragrance at that point. And so this, this odor that we're, we're sending up is something that should be worthy of, of God. And so... When you pray, are you really fully conscious, conscious, that's the right word, comprehending who you're talking to? Or has God become Aladdin's lamp to you? The little genie in the bottle. You kind of rub it and say, okay, God, so here it is. Here's what I want right now. There's a new movie that's out. I was out with the girls this week. We saw a movie and didn't see this one. I don't remember what the name of it was. Where are my girls at? They're not here. Anyways, it's uh, something about a little rainbow rock. Kid finds, anybody know the name of that thing? Anyways, uh, uh, an asteroid or something comes through the rainbow and it becomes a rainbow rock and so it becomes this wishing stone. And, and so whatever you wish for, it happens to you. And so it's this big slapstick thing, I guess, anyways. So, anyways, but we kind of treat God that way. We kind of treat God like he's this wishing well, that he's this wishing stone. You know, he's the, the Aladdin's lamp. And so when I go to him, do I go to God in worship and praise for who he is and what he's done? I hope that over the last couple of weeks, as we've considered the, 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 the declarations of the four living beasts, as we've considered the declarations of the four and twenty elders, as we've considered the declarations of the angels, as we've considered the declarations of the saints, as we've considered the declarations of the multitudes that were before him, do you, how would you... How would you represent all of their, their, their declarations, their prayer, if you would, to God? Worship and praise. It's all worship. It's all declaring, praising God for who He is and, and what He has done. And so I ask you, as I ask myself, what portion of my prayers is worship and praise? And what portion of my prayer is I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And by the way, while you're in the neighborhood, can you? One prayer is focused on God, and the other prayer is focused on me. What I want. Even Jesus, in his prayer in the garden, said, not my will, but your will be done. I want what you want, Father. And so, this censer that is about to be used is used with the prayers of the saints. And so my challenge to, 
to myself and to you is, what's in that sensor? How does it smell? I pray that God will allow my prayers to be an odor of a sweet smell to Him and not a stench. And so we have this censer. But then, after the censer, we're told that, that the angel takes this censer along with the fire and the prayers of the saints and he throws it to the earth. And as he throws it to the earth and he casts it to the earth, the trumpets begin to sound. Because as he throws it to the earth, verse 5, there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Symbolic of the same earthquake that happened earlier in the sixth seal. If, at the end of, in that beginning of the sixth seal, there was, this is an if, if that was a nuclear explosion, if it was a, um, some kind of a, a holocaust happening on the earth, then there would be what? Potentially. Aftershocks, yes? That would occur. It's an amazing thing. Does anybody know what causes a tsunami? It's an earthquake at sea. There's effects, there are aftershocks that occur. And so, this holding back of the seven, or the, the four winds, in this moment of silence, I wonder if it's a, a moment that God just kind of brings the, the calm before the storm. And the storm is about to happen. And so there is this earthquake, and we'll come back to this in just a moment, but this all opens up then into the trumpet judgments. And we see in this first trumpet that there is hail that comes to the earth, hail that is mixed with fire and mingled with blood. Okay? Now, I'm just going to go through literally what it says right now, and we're going to come back and talk about this. Okay? So we've got this trumpet, and we're told that when this hail and fire and blood comes down, that a third of the trees on the earth are burnt up. And all the grass is burnt up. Again, is this symbolic? Is this allegorical? Or is this literal? I choose to take the Bible literally, unless we're told that somehow that it's symbolic. And so, just as a fourth of the earth, the, the, the population of the earth, was going to die during those third and fourth seals, so during this first trumpet, we see a third of the trees burnt up. The second trumpet, we see that there's something like, see, something like, we're going to come back to this, something like a great mountain burning with fire that's thrown into the sea. Kind of picture a big volcano, don't you? A great mountain with fire burning on it. Mount St. Helens spewing with lava. You know, being thrown, cast into the sea. I'm not saying that's what it is, but that's kind of the picture that's there. But key to that is it's something like it. Something like it. And what do we see happens? Well, a third of the sea became as blood. That when this great mountain was thrown into the sea, a third of the sea became like blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea, because of that, died. And a third of the ships at sea were destroyed. Isn't that interesting? And so we have this great big mountain spewing with fire being cast into the sea and we have this devastating effect. The third trumpet we see that a great star fell from heaven. And as this great star fell from heaven it was, it was burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Now, that ought to stop you for a moment as well and say, how can one star, right, fall on a third of the rivers? We'll come back to that in a moment. Okay, and so what effect does it have? Well, a third of the waters, fresh water, became wormwood, became bitter. And we're told that many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So that during this third trumpet, this, this star type thing is going to fall like a torch from the sky, having flame potentially, torch, and um, it's going to fall from the sky onto a third of the waters, and a third of the waters are going to become bitter, they're going to become wormwood, they're going to become diseased, people are going to drink it, and because they're drinking this, this, this diseased water, they're going to die. The fourth trumpet, we're told in the fourth trumpet, 
A third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck as well. And they were darkened. Now, again, like I said, you can either see this as always exciting or always very disturbing. Or as I choose to look at it, disturbingly exciting. I don't look forward to this time. Now, as I've stated before, I don't see the evidence for the rapture occurring at the beginning of Revelation chapter 4. I would love to see it, based upon this especially. Some say it came, the rapture occurs in the sixth seal, because of what the, the world says about the, the wrath of the Lamb. I don't see it there either, because those are, that's the world saying it. And so I would love to see it there. If it wasn't there in Revelation chapter 4, I'd love to see it in the sixth seal. I don't look forward to any of this. And yet, I understand that even if I go through this, before we even talk about interpretation, I mean, even without interpretation, that's pretty, pretty scary. When I go through this, that I am worth more, far more, than two sparrows. And my father knows what happens to the sparrows. And as the 144,000 were sealed, remember this? We talked last week that it's not a matter that he's going to let us go through it. Why? Because if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, what happens to you at that very moment? You receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. You are sealed. And so even as these things go through, we go through these things, I believe that God will spare his children through these things. Now, some of us, if we go through that, if, if it happens during our lifetime, we may face some of the consequences of those things. God may allow us to go through it as a sign, as a witness to others. But through it all, God will be what? Watching over us with his watch care. I really believe that. Now, if you were John, and you were sitting on the beach, at least in this picture, I don't know where John was sitting on the Isle of Patmos, but he was on the Isle of Patmos, when Jesus came to declare to him this revelation, and as Jesus was revealing to you the future, you begin to see the things that were about to be. What did you see? Describe to me, John, sitting on the island, what do you see? Do you see a big head of cauliflower right now? Do you see a, a diseased head of broccoli? Do you see a big mushroom? What do you see? Do you see an explosion? Certainly you're not going to tell me, John, that you understand that that's a what? A nuclear explosion. You haven't got a clue what what is. A nucleus is. <laughs> not to mention a nuclear explosion. Right? And so as you began to see the things that were going to occur, how would you describe them? In ways that you know. A week or two ago, I can't remember how long ago, we talked about napalm a little bit. How would you describe napalm? If, if, you, if God would show you, like the, Vietnam is clearly not part of Revelation, but let's say you were back in Vietnam, you know, and, and, and you saw napalm being cast upon, upon the, the jungles of, of Vietnam and then the effect that the napalm would have upon it. How would you describe that picture? Fire from heaven. Okay, blood, mingled with blood, maybe hail. Fire, mingled with blood, because they call it ancient what? Why do they call it that? Because of the color that it has. Okay. That's different stuff? Oh, okay. So as they pour it out, though, what happens to the jungle? It burns. So if you're John, I mean, you wouldn't know about napalm. You wouldn't know about this new warfare. You wouldn't even know about planes. And so I ask you, I submit to you again, if you, looked, if you were looking at the sixth seal and then into these first four trumpet judgments, how would you describe what you would see? Anybody know what that is? It's a building. It's a big... It's a big sarcophagus is actually what it is. That, that picture is a big sarcophagus. 
but clearly it's a building. It's a big old sarcophagus. It's reactor number four of Chernobyl. Anybody know what reactor number four of Chernobyl is known for? The meltdown. They have built a huge sarcophagus over reactor number four to try to contain the radiation that is still emanating from it. And that sarcophagus is leaking. It was built hastily, and it is falling apart. It already has leaks that are in it. But before they could build this, could you imagine being the guy that was there building it? With all the radiation that's there? Before Chernobyl happened, back in 1986, I believe, 1985, 1986, okay, when it, when it occurred, these are a few, a few maps. Now, I don't want to get into this uh, whole being a message on nuclear, but I want to give you a picture, potentially. I understand, but I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but potentially what could occur. And looking back at Chernobyl, Chernobyl, like Mount St. Helen gave us a great picture of the, of the Grand Canyon. Well, Chernobyl gives us a great picture of what will happen, okay, in a potentially nuclear explosion, okay? And I want you to take this because of what I'm going to show you in just a few moments, okay, and, and apply, bring two, two things together which our government's not going to do for us, okay? It's kind of a fun thing in a weird way, in a sick way. Anyways, but here's Chernobyl right down here. In that yellow, that yellow that thing that's there is its effect that it had almost immediately. When it started to, to melt down and it started to emanate and it started to explode, you can see how the, the gases, the, the radiation um, went out massively, 400, 800 miles. You know, it just started to, to go forth, okay? Up here in the top left corner is... Years later, okay, I don't have the, the dates here, but anyways, you can see the black is 27 April, okay, 1985-1986. The yellow is by May 6th, okay? So this is just two months later. Radiation had already dispersed all the way over to North America. Okay, now you got to look at the map kind of upside down. We're looking from the North Pole there, okay? Okay, because where Chernobyl is located. But you can see that even traces of it had made it all the way down into... Africa. Now, what's interesting here is if you look at Great Britain, United Kingdom, okay, that's this island right here. Do you see any yellow that's there? You don't see any yellow there right now. What I want to show you is the effects that it continues to have even after those few months. This is the United Kingdom. Wales, England, Scotland. Those tanned and red portions are farms even today that are still not allowed to produce anything because the effects of Chernobyl are still in the land. Sheep farms that were closed down because of the radiation that was, that was caused by Chernobyl. There are so many more effects going on in Europe that governments just do not want to talk about because of the radiation fallout that came now, you remember the picture I just showed you. This is just a couple months later. It was already in North America. Where do you, th where do you think that, that, that yellow band went? Even after that. You remember the four winds that were being held back? Isn't that an amazing thing? Oops, too far. Those four winds holding back the what was going on. And now all of a sudden it's it's released. What if, what if, what happened to Chernobyl? Now you understand that Chernobyl had a, uh, a what do you call it, um, a, a block about it to prevent some of this explosion happening. Okay, Not like ours today. In the United States we have a bigger um, shield about our, our plants. But they had a shield, but the shield was meaningless. What would happen if the, uh, that there was no shield, if it was just a nuclear explosion. Now, back in 1962, the United States held uh, numerous operations, but in 1962 specifically, there was one called Dominic. And in Operation Dominic, we blew, 
uh, Christmas Island and Solomon Island and some of these other islands out there in Pacific out of the out of the, out of the water. Anyways, we went there, and what we were playing with was high altitude, high altitude explosions, not just high altitude explosions, but high altitude nuclear explosions. See, there was a there was a theory that was bantered about because of the electromagnetic fields that surrounded the Earth that it would potentially hold radiation within because they were doing some experiments in, in these labs and they were melting everything that we put this radiation into was being melted down. The isotopes would melt everything down and so they finally figured out that they put it in these special metal envelopes that they can contain the, the radiation for a period of time. And there was this electromagnetic fields. And so they, they ventured that because the electromagnetic fields that were going around the Earth that probably that the, the Earth's electromagnetic fields would hold in that radiation. And so the only way to find out for sure is to do what? Try it out. Try it out. So guess what we did back in 1962? This is just a small portion of the bombs that we exploded in the Pacific back in 1962. Now what was especially uh, interesting is one of them was called Starfish Prime. Now it was called Starfish Prime because um, Prime, if you understand math, Prime is the that means the second derivation. So you can have a second prime, third prime, okay? So on and so forth. So prime means that starfish, the original starfish, failed. It exploded too early. And so they had starfish prime, so we can start it all over again. We do it again, okay? And so there was all these different explosions that were going on. But starfish prime has been very well documented through all this. And, and I've got some things I want you to read about as we come through this. Not again, make scare tactics, not to get you horrified. But this is, it's information that I feel like we need to know. We need to understand. We need to be wise as we look to the Word of God and understand. This is about 1,500 kilometers or 930 statute miles away in Hawaii. So they're almost 1,000 miles away. And in Hawaii, the electromagnetic pulse created by the explosion was felt as 300 streetlights failed, television sets and radios malfunctioned, burglar alarms went off, and power lines fused. On Kauai, the EMP shut down telephone calls to other islands by burning out the equipment used in a microwave link. Also, the sky in the Pacific region was illuminated by an artificial aurora for more than seven minutes. This is all documented stuff. I got this part on Wikipedia, but this, you can go out. I've got some other um, nuclear sites um, that I can show you that document this stuff. Almost a thousand miles away, and this stuff was happening. Now, understand... These aren't the major bombs that potentially could go off today by a rogue nation. We were just testing effects. But I submit to you, as before we looked at the next ones, if the electromagnetic pulse made it that far, what else do you think made it that far? The radiation. And it was, I mean, it, and it got there with power. This is, you can see, it's a, um, this is written back there in August 1962, right afterwards. This is a report on it. This is a quick look at the technical results of Starfish Prime. And I think this might be the one from NASA. Um, I've been to NASA's site as well, checking all this stuff out. So, I mean, I've, I've verified this information, okay? It says, at uh, Kwajalein, 1,450 miles to the west. Now, understand that Hawaii was, what, to the east. Okay, so now we're talking 1,450 miles west, okay, a dense overcast extended the length of the eastern horizon, in other words, so it was kind of cloudy that day, to the height of 5 or 8 degrees, and at 0,900 GMT, that's the time that's there, the, the standard time, a brilliant white flash burned through the clouds, rapidly changing to an expanding green ball of irradiance, extending into the clear sky above the overcast. From its surface extruded great white fingers resembling cirrostratus clouds with rows to 40 degrees above the horizon in sweeping arcs, turning downward toward the poles and disappearing in seconds to be replaced by spectacular concentric cirrus like rings moving out from the blast as tre at tremendous initial velocity, finally stopping when the outermost ring was 50 degrees overhead. They did not disappear, but persisted in a state of frozen stillness. All this occurred, I would judge, within 45 seconds. As the greenish light turned to purple and began to fade at the point of burst, a bright red glow began to develop on the horizon at a direction 50 degrees north of the east and simultaneously 50 degrees south of east 
expanding inward and upward until the whole eastern sky was a dull burning red semicircle, 100 degrees north to the south and halfway to the zenith, obliterating some of, obliterating some of the lesser stars. This condition, interspersed with tremendous white rainbows, persisted no less than seven minutes. So, 1,450 miles away, the effects were very clearly seen by this one burst, this one high-altitude burst. Okay? Now, in the high-altitude burst, you saw some of the things that this modern individual who understood what was going on was trying to describe it as. Could you imagine John, if he saw something like that? What would John describe this as? These fingers clouds coming down and, and arcing in rainbows and, and obliterating some of the what? Lesser stars. Would you say that it darkened maybe? A third of the stars? Potentially? I don't know. I'm not saying that this is an interpretation. I'm saying this is a potential. Okay? So understand, remember, as we go through these things, I'm not telling you this is what's going to occur. I'm giving you an idea of what might occur. Listen, if this happens 100 years from now, clearly they're going to have a whole lot more things than we got even today, right? Okay? But this is a potentiality. But if this happens in my lifetime, which I think it will, then some of these things that we see today are forerunners of where we're at. While some of the energetic beta particles following, followed the Earth's magnetic field and illuminated the sky, other high-energy electrons became trapped and formed radiation belts. Read this now. It formed radiation belts around the Earth. There was much uncertainty and debate about the composition, magnitude, and potential adverse effects from this trapped radiation after the detonation. We didn't really know what was going to happen. And we still don't know what the effects might be, is what I, how I read that. The weaponeers became quite worried when three satellites in low Earth orbit were disabled. These man-made radiation belts eventually crippled one-third of all satellites in low orbit. When you look up into the sky, what do you see a satellite as? Huh, that's interesting. Seven satellites were destroyed as radiation knocked out their solar arrays or electronics, including the first commercial relay communication satellite ever. That's Telstar. Can you imagine to spend all the billions of dollars that we spent putting those satellites up, and in one moment of glory, we wipe it all out? What do you think satellites look like as they're disabled and plummet to the earth? Falling stars. Yes? I mean, as, as, as stuff comes into our atmosphere, it begins to do what? Burn up. Does anybody remember when the shuttle Columbia crashed? Do you remember that? How far of a spread was the, um, the materials, if you would, from the shuttle? All the way from California to Texas, they found bits and pieces of it. It was a rough, just a horrid day. A horrid day. But you can, it, it, it showed us the effects on some of our man-made stuff how it enters into the, the Earth's atmosphere and what happens to it. High altitude nuclear explosions have helped. Now, this is one that's from NASA. Okay? This is the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. Okay? So this is um, one of their actual reports okay? from their site, from NASA's site. High altitude nuclear explosions have helped considerably in our understanding of the natural radiation belts. The starfish artificial belt gave gave quantitative information on electron lifetimes not available any other place. In other words, we're trying to find something positive about this, right? Synchron, uh, synchrotron radiation in aurora were also observed at the starfish. There are some interesting questions, though, what? Left about how the starfish electrons got where they did and why they have the spectra observed. In other words, say again? What color? What, not just what color, but... What race and how far they they got. We don't know where, how they got where they got. Now, do you remember the, the map? I don't want to go all the way back there to Chernobyl's map, okay, with the, the yellow. And how else, it was just kind of like this and this, and it really was no spread pattern. It was just kind of, it hit the winds. 
Remember we talked about the wind patterns and how different levels of wind? I mean, and so if, as the explosion goes up and it's caught in different wind patterns, it's going to do what? It's going to spread in different ways. Now, could you imagine with this high altitude um, explosions, if what happened in 1962 with a small test, a small test explosion, if a rogue nation, instead of seeking to bomb New York, if they chose to rather set off a high altitude explosive, or maybe three of them. Think about it. Did we try to shoot North Korea's missiles out of the air this time? Why? Well, not that it was a payload, but it wasn't coming to us. Okay? And so what, though, if they chose to shoot them up from different places? There was a synchronized thing, and this is all hypothetical. I'm not writing any science fiction books or anything. But you got North Korea and, and uh, Iran, and, and you pick your other rogue nation in there. And they have this synchronized shooting off of high, high altitude missiles filled with a huge payload of radiation. What do you think would happen to many satellites that are in our, in our orbit right now based upon 1962? They would come what? They'd come down. Do you know what we fill our satellites with to power them? Plutonium. Radiation. If satellite came into orbit, this is all conjecture. I understand this is conjecture, this isn't, okay? But just go with me on it. A satellite comes in, filled with plutonium, and it bursts as it comes into orbit. What happens to the plutonium? Huh? It spreads. Now, I wonder, with all the radiation that was exploded in the Pacific, and watching the Chernobyl stuff, which we didn't have the, the, all that ability back in the 60s, I, one thing I didn't get to do, but I, and I, I probably won't have the time to do so, if you have time and you want to do this, I'm very interested in finding out a, a very independent result on this one. I want to know what the rate of cancer was prior to 1962, for, the, for a, a couple decades prior to that, and what it has been since 1962. I dread, as I was trying to do this, I was trying to, and sometimes there's too much data out there, and I don't have the time to try to consolidate all the data together. I mean, like, I went to the one site, and they want to give you the stuff for uh, thyroid cancer, and the stuff for lymph cancer, and the stuff for this cancer, and that cancer. I just wanted to know a cancer period, you know. But they did say, the one site did say, that thyroid cancer... The increase of thyroid cancer after that was huge. Okay? And so I, my conjecture is that I think that there were a lot of adverse effects that have occurred to the United States as a result of the things that we've done to ourselves. Remember how I said that many of these judgments of God, quote-unquote, are not necessarily God himself doing them to us? He's just doing what? Taking away his hand and letting us do it to ourselves. That God says, Romans chapter 1, you want to worship the creation rather than the creator, that's fine, you go ahead and do it, and see where it takes you. So God hands us over to our own lasciviousness. God hands us over to our own godness, if you would. That we become as gods, and we want to determine these things, and what do we do? We destroy ourselves. That's exactly right. Now, again, take that now, from this macrocosm picture into this mi a microcosm picture of what about me today? What am I doing to myself today? Am I seeking God's face? Am I seeking to live according to God's truth, to his standards, to his, his, his wisdom? Or am I saying, well, that's good for salvation, but I've got the rest of it under control. And what am I doing to myself? God's wisdom is true wisdom. Man's wisdom always leads to destruction. I don't know what's going to occur through these trumpets. I can see very clearly, though, 
a nuclear holocaust. And I can see the effects of a nuclear holocaust coming through those first four trumpets. Some people want to say that Wormwood was Chernobyl. Because Chernobyl bringing into English means Wormwood. I, I don't know. Wormwood means bitter. Okay? And so whether they wanted to mean Chernobyl was bitter, I mean, that's just, we've got to be careful when we start pointing fingers on things. I think when these things occur, we'll, we'll clearly know them. But what do you think happens when radiation hits in the water? It contaminates the water. And people who drink it get contaminated and die. It's just amazing stuff when you, when you read God's word. And again, thinking about John, how would John describe it? So, I ask you, as I ask myself, though the days we live in may be unpredictable, my confidence should not be in the world, but who? In the Lord. Because God's, God's got it all control. Our times are not out of control to God. God's got it under control. It's man who's out of control. And so the reality is, if my focus is on God and not on man, should I fear? There is no fear. There's no fear of whether God, what, what happens to me. Remember back in Matthew 10, 28, 39. It says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs on your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are worth more value, more value than sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not bring to, come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me, that is Christ, is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, what I share today could be exciting. Or it could be very disturbing. Or it can be disturbingly exciting. Which is it to you? That tells you who's in control in your life. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray that you would help me to keep my eyes focused upon you. Lord, help me to glorify you with all that I am and all that I do. Lord, we know that there are disturbing times coming upon the earth. But Lord, they didn't take you by surprise. They will not take you by surprise. You have declared them through your servant John. Lord, I pray that we would be prepared for those days. Lord, I pray that the rapture, the, the harpazo, would come prior to those days. But if it doesn't, Lord, I pray that I would be prepared to go through these days as a living testimony. Lord, help me to be faithful. I pray for these others as well, Lord, that you would help them to be faithful. Help us to shine as lights in this world, pointing others to you, Lord, that they will not have to undergo through these times of trials without the assurance of knowing you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.